0: Welcome back, sister, to the Daily Momture Podcast. I'm your host, True Love. You can connect with me on social at MoveWithTrulove or in my fitness app for mamas at movewithtrueloveapp.com. I'm so excited to finally sit down with Lauren from Isla Grace Sleep. This conversation has been in the works for a year or more at this point, and it truly is the best timing because this conversation goes everywhere, which, of course, I love. Lauren earned a Bachelor of Education at McMaster University and Queensland University of Technology. She did four years of teaching junior kindergarten through grade four and this inspired a passion for education and play-based learning. After giving birth to her daughter Grace, Lauren learned the many challenges of navigating motherhood. This included the multitude of books, information, and people with strong opinions on the right way to be a mother. She quickly learned that the best parent for her child was herself and that in trusting her instincts, she could never go wrong. With this belief, three pediatric sleep certifications and Mohawk College's breastfeeding program, Lauren launched Isla Grace. She provides information and support to women at different stages of motherhood and walks each one through the personal journey to become a more confident mother. She also created a certification program of her own for sleep educators to get moms to have more sleep without sleep training. With that said, let's dive into all things baby sleep. Hello, 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 sister. Welcome back to the Daily Bombshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Trulove. And today I am joined by somebody who I've been trying to get on this show for over a year, it feels like. <laughs> somebody that I have personally been following and ingesting her content as a mom myself. Um, and it is Lauren from Isla Grace Sleep, all about everything that I felt like naturally I wanted to do as a mom. And it was really hard to find the content that supported that. And not only the content, but like the research, the just a little bit more, I don't know. It was like a boost in like everything that I wanted to do naturally. And like, I'm just so glad that an account like yours exists. And I'm really excited to have you on today. I know you coach other coaches, like You are a wealth of knowledge. You're spreading it. You're giving people tools and resources to mother the way that feels truest to them. That is what this show is about. So if you're not into bed sharing, the show isn't going to be for you. But if you are, which I have many, many women ask me questions all the time. I'm not the expert. Our sleeping arrangement looks crazy sometimes, but we do what we need to do. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. Please introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do, how you do it, how you got into this work. I'm so happy you're here.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I know. And thank you for your patience and your flexibility. Um, we we're just sort of talking before this just about, I've been going through some things in my personal life and actually have not, I think this might be the first podcast I've done in probably a year. So just so you know. You were I'm first- honored.
0: I am honored. <laughs> um,
1: so yeah, so my name is Lauren. I am a mother to two little ones, Isla and Grace, hence the name of my business, I am a three-time certified pediatric sleep specialist. Um, I have been supporting families now for probably about ten years. Um, I also have my BEd, so I worked as a teacher for a long time, um, and I'm just uh, going through the last bit of my. Well, I just have to write my exam to become an IBCLC. Um, I support families to get sleep without sleep training, which is um, really just like an attachment focused approach to sleep and parenting. Um, I help parents through a series of courses as well as my, my Instagram. And then I started a certification program to be able to, well, the goal of the certification program is really to be able to spread the message I realized that Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it on my own. And I think in order to normalize normal infant sleep, we need more people in the infant sleep space talking about it, not just one, Mm -hmm. but multiple. Absolutely, Yes. Um, So it's been a huge success. I think I have probably, there's about 200 coaches all over the world and maybe 300-ish students that are going through the program. Um, So yeah, so I run a sleep certification, I help families with courses and online and yeah, so really just wanted to spread the message around normal infant sleep. I think, as I'm sure you know, there's just there's so many myths out there. And so it was really important for me to start asking questions about where the information was coming from. So the field of, I guess, pediatric sleep is, is new. It shouldn't be new, but it sort of mm-hmm. is. No one was really looking at it. Um, but more importantly, no one was really looking at it from a cultural perspective. So one of the important things that I always remind parents to like ask is well, who's giving this information and who is it benefiting? Mm-hmm. So you really start get ba- to get back to the roots of the information that we're receiving as parents, especially I can speak to Canada and the States because that's in my area. Um, you know, there was really a motivation to get women back into the workforce, Um, you know, it was very common to be separating moms and babies at birth, um, you know, and so we normalize a lot of things that aren't normal. And we started to push things um, for that purpose. And so a lot of what we hear around infant sleep, and specifically when it comes time to more of the sleep training type approaches are not common in the rest of the world. So (laughs) there, I always say they're like, kind of like our impression of infant sleep is very different than in other places around Mm -hmm. the world getting different information, it's just important to start asking questions about where's the information coming from? Who is it benefiting? Because at the end of the day, it's not a reflection of what we actually know now about um, infant sleep and development and attachment. So
0: I think what you just said is going to make like the, the like, connecting the dots. Like why are we normalizing separating moms and babies and getting women back into the workforce, which I feel like I feel like we're going to get so much hate on this, on this episode, but I feel like it's like this feminist thing. And I feel like the feminist thing is like, I can do anything I which I believe women can, you know, it's, it's this very, like, I thought I always was a feminist and then it started to like change into something else. And I'm like, I don't know if I really align with everything that's happening here anymore, but, um, because I'm a mom, I have a, a fully functioning business supporting my family, you know, and I think that's women empowerment, but I also think that in terms of what you just said, like getting women back into the workforce is completely separate than normal infant sleep. But we're, it's like, we're, we're, we're focusing on this, what's happening with your baby and saying what's happening isn't normal. Um, so that businesses can benefit from you being separated from your baby and you getting back to work, which is just so interesting. Yeah, I mean I think it's very interesting. We
1: can't talk about feminism on this episode because honestly you and I could talk for hours. I've had some eye opening thoughts, but I will encourage everybody just to look at like go right back to the roots of it and see where it started and who it was started by. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's we'll leave that there. That's all we're gonna say. Right. Um, but are I- we still
0: talking about bed sharing? Well, this is a bed sharing episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. So no, we're going to, but we'll, we'll, leave that there. But what, what I, <laughs> okay. what I, wonder, I think, I think the whole point of at the end of the day, the problem becomes in kind of making this push towards more independence and more separation between mom and baby, the parents who don't want that, or who have chose differently, Mm -hmm. are being made to feel like there's something wrong with their baby because they can't handle it. So for example, I had a call today um, from a mom who was sending her son off to daycare because she felt like he should be socialized. Mm-hmm. And she was concerned about the fact that at two, you know, he was crying at drop off and what is wrong with him? The other kids aren't crying and my kid's crying. And so, you know, to even to explain to her how attachment works about the fact that, you know, children aren't really meant to be okay with being away from us. So instead of looking at attachment and understanding what's actually normal when it comes time to development and attachment and children displaying very healthy, health mm-hmm. behaviors around being separated from their parents we've made it seem like actually that's wrong there's something wrong there why is your child they're too attached there's something wrong with them or they want to sleep away from you or they don't want to sleep away from you there's something wrong with your baby mm-hmm. so sort of pushing in one direction we've alienated the other side and and we see very normal behaviors when children are separated from their parents and now we're saying that's not normal mm-hmm. so i mean again to each their own. I'm a big, you know, one of the things about my approach is I think parents should do, um, what makes sense for them and for their family. Um, but I also think it's also important to have all the information and to ask questions really.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I have friends all over the board in terms of like the sleeping, I think, you know, the sleep situation looks different for everybody on the planet, you know? Uh, but I have a huge problem with somebody who wants to bed share who doesn't have a um, safe place to go ask how to do that, isn't getting any type of support or reinforcement into what they do and like being like, okay, yeah, what you want to do is normal. You don't want anything bad to happen to your baby. Like I've gotten those comments, like it's wild. I mean, we know that the comment section is the wild, wild west, but it it feels very like if you want to sleep with your baby it feels very like you're in the wrong like you don't talk about that like don't tell anybody you're doing it um and so that's why i want to talk about it a lot because it is normal my parents are first generation born in the united states both of them and i i mean we slept with our parents like and and when the next i'm the oldest of six and it was it was like when the next kid was born like we just i don't know moved into our own space like we and we had a very tiny house like so we all slept basically together like with somebody um with another kid and um it was it was just normal it wasn't like this uh this big deal because you know how they say like if you you're gonna be sleeping with your kid that just try to get them out of your bed in 10 years or like whatever and it's like we all moved on like we all grew up to be people that got married and wanted to sleep with somebody like that's but that's normal you know so I really want to I really want to go into the attachment theory is it a theory is it the attachment attachment. conversation yeah Yeah, because I think that can help um understand what is happening when you want to sleep with your baby why you want to sleep with your baby and what could maybe happen if you don't I feel like there's not a ton of solid information out there about what the potential of sleep training could do to that attachment situation is there any could anything happen so I mean, let's start, but just, I, I like to start the bed
1: sharing conversation around the comment of the fact that you have a separate sleep space or surface means you're really in a different position than the majority of the world. So right. let's start the conversation by saying like most families don't have a crib or a separate bedroom. Mm-hmm. They don't, so they bed share. Right. It is normal in the majority of the world to bed share. So this whole stigma around it being bad or, um, you know, like not, not a good thing for parents to be doing is, is very like, I guess maybe like a Western kind of culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, this is where I ask people to go back to where's that information coming from and who is it benefiting? And that's why the, it's interesting that we start off the conversation around back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and the the crazy, the crazy thing for me is that at the end of the day, the bed sharing, Oh, I want to say bed sharing doesn't work for everybody.
0: Right. Yeah, totally. If it doesn't, don't do it. Yeah.
1: It doesn't. So, I mean, we, we want to make sure that we're looking at, um, safe sleep. So, um, one of the leading experts in the, in the space of, um, bed bed sharing, um, is Professor James McKenna. He calls it breast sleeping is is what he calls it. Um, he has studied bed sharing in a lab. Um, so it is, if, if someone's going to make a comment about anything bed sharing related, he is the one to go to because he is the only one really who has studied it. So you want to look for safety information. You want to look for research. You want to look for, for studies. He has it all so he can mm-hmm. back it all up. He also, I love, looks at sleep around the world, um, so it's not just specific to here. So we'll, we'll start there. It is normal, um, the fact that you know people. Some people don't sleep well, then don't do it. So if it's right. if, the other thing is from a safety perspective, um, there are several things that would make bed sharing unsafe. Um, there is a concern about babies who are premature um because they just tend to be a higher risk category for SIDS so you just want to make sure that you're not adding any additional risks to a bed sharing situation um you want to make sure that parents are not smoking or drinking um you know that Everybody in the bed is aware of having the baby there. That the mattress is firm. That it's not soft because you want to avoid any type of um, suffocation or any of that with a, with a with a mattress that's not firm. So there there is a good really like there's a good list of things that we should be mm-hmm. doing in order to keep it safe. And if you are falling into a category, let's say of having a premature baby, it's just not a good idea and it's not worth the risk. So right start so there. The other thing that's important to explain that I think people don't understand specifically when they're looking at safety stats for uh, bed sharing, because one of the, the messages that we all get is that bed sharing leads to SIDS. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the blanket statement, and is never safe, is what I've been what I've heard. So right. I just want to break this down to uh, make sure that everyone is aware that bed sharing and co sleeping are two different situations. So when you're looking at any kind of, um, st- safety statistics or, um, statistics on, you know, SIDS deaths or past a baby's passing, you want to make sure that there is definitely a differentiation between the two of those. So, um, co-sleeping is sleeping in sensory proximity to your baby bed sharing is sleeping on the same sleep surface. So co-sleeping can include falling asleep on a, uh, rock in a rocker on a couch, um, anywhere and and those are not safe sleep situations so oftentimes mm-hmm. what happens is that we look at um potential passing of from separate uh, from suffocation or from sids and we put we put the co-sleeping and the bed sharing in the same category and we say look at look at these babies who have passed so mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day m- there are a lot of unsafe sleeping situations the majority of those are happening because parents are too scared to bedshare because they've been told that bedsharing is dangerous. Right. So we say to a to a mom who's waking up 10 times at night to feed her baby, don't ever bedshare, it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. She falls asleep as she should because the breastfeeding and you know being up that many times is going to make you tired so she falls asleep in a rocker, right, which is an unsafe sleep situation and then all of a sudden we're counting that towards a potential harm from
0: bed bed sharing, sharing. right? So, Doesn't make sense. So
1: we, we, categories se- separate those two. Um, but at the end of the day, so when we look at, I'm all over the map here. because I always have like whenever I'm <laughs> whenever I'm doing a course, I always have notes. But the reason why I wanted to get to this was just specifically when I started about the fact that, you know, when we look at parents who are going back to work, those are families who are really going to benefit from bed sharing, if it's something that they're open and comfortable to doing, because when we look at attachment, what we look at is we have to understand that even though we've normalized separation for, especially I can speak to the States, you know, moms and babies being separated as early as like four months, three months, four months, whatever it is. Yeah. Just because we've normalized that because we're forcing that doesn't mean that that's normal from an attachment perspective for a baby to be okay with separation. So what happens is that babies actually move through different phases of separation. um, And each different phase allows them a little bit more opportunity to hold on when apart from their village of attachment and people that they love. So they have to move through these phases, one after the other. And until a child is like seven years old, they, and, and, and that means like the perfect unfolding of attachment, which it does it's always messy and there's yeah. know, for, for everything. But um, as soon as they're attached at that, that much deeper phase, then they're okay with, with more separation. But that's again a year so like you know there's seven phases so you're kind of like moving down that's like you know six seven years old but we think that a baby should be okay with it at four months right so Mm -hmm. when we look at parents going back to work and they're away from their children for 10 hours a day or nine hours a day and then we try to put them to sleep and we're putting them to sleep in a crib in another room and then we're like why are they not okay with that well they're right. just gone from you know if you're looking at the amount of time that they're able to spend with the parent then it's so few hours of course of course they're going to be looking for of course they're going to people say they're protesting the crib they're not protesting the crib they're 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 saying the separation is too much for me right. can't handle that much separation so they're looking to connect they're looking for closeness and proximity and connection so when you the original question was like what are the benefits versus what are the harms i mean again i wouldn't say different babies have different temperaments different babies are spending different amount of times with with their caregivers um so you know there isn't one necessarily to say hey you you're gonna have to bed share in order to achieve x y or z or as it as it relates to attachment there are a lot of children who are like pretty good with sleeping on their own and that might be more of their temperament some children don't sleep well while they're bed sharing it's not common but some some just don't parents don't sleep well that impacts their mood the next day their ability to connect so it's not it's not really we can't really say if you bed share it you end up with this if you don't bed share you end up with this Mm -hmm. but you know ultimately there's tons of benefit when we look at like the idea of wanting independent children children are not independent children are only independent after being able to deeply depend so the more opportunities we can give them to be able to depend on us the more contact closeness of proximity we can give them the more we can facilitate moving through those those deeper those deeper stages of attachment
0: so it just the, 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 law the... no no that's i I'm really interested in like the attachment, like in building a secure attachment. And I feel like that is something that is really important to me. And I share about, so I I know I get questions about it. Um, and so bed sharing offers a way to be dependable, especially if you are somebody that's going back to work. Um, And putting your child in daycare, whether, you know, some people have to go to work, they have to have two people making an income. Um, But it just offers an extended period of time where you can start pouring into that secure attachment.
1: And again, if you this is where I would like to say, you know, and I honestly believe this, your nighttime parenting decisions are no one else's business. Unless you're coming to my house at 2 a.m. to help me, I'm not interested in your opinion at all.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Like do what works. Exactly. But
1: you know, what we do see is, uh, you know, especially if if you're a breastfeeding mother and you want to continue breastfeeding and you were at work all day, you know, you're going to, it's going to allow for a lot more opportunities to breastfeed at night. Um, If you don't have to get up and go down the hall, and you sleep well while well bed sharing you're also going to sleep better if you're bed sharing um and then you know if your baby is away from you for eight ten hours a day what a beautiful way to then facilitate 12 hours or however long you <laughs> no one's sleeping tall but, who's sleeping know? 12 <laughs> hours <laughs> Maybe, maybe you're going to bed at six and waking up at six. Um, But to be able to get, you know, from the time you pick your little one up at daycare and then overnight them having that, that contact and proximity is amazing. You know, it's going to be amazing for that. But again, it's only if it were, if it's something you're interested in, if you can sleep, if your baby sleeps, you know, and if you can do it safely, then obviously there's tons of benefit to being able to do it. Um, Yeah.
0: How do you feel about like a week, we, we, you mentioned myths, like, how do you feel about, like, I've seen some fairly large sleep training accounts mentioning how sleep training does not harm attachment or it, it, what is it? It, or like makes the attachment like deeper, but there aren't really studies on sleep training, right? Here's the thing. Um, I think we've like taken
1: this word attachment and it's become like almost—it's not a new buzzword, but we, we we're kind of turning it into that. Attachment is about relationship. So mm. I've seen the other side of this, which is um, like specifically attachment parenting. Say, you know, if you do the baby bees, and here are the eight things you do, then you get a secure attachment, right? While well, even on that side, like, well, you know. I've seen women in the lactation clinic and sometimes breastfeeding isn't working for them or I've seen them break out in hives or wh- whatever it is. And, and it's causing a lot of stress and that's leading to tension in the relationship. It's not benefiting the relationship because of whatever, or, you know, if they can't bed share or they can't, they don't want a baby wear, the baby doesn't want to be in the baby carry. Like there's lots of things like, so attachment is about a relationship. We're building a relationship and just as as in any other relationship that you're building, think about the relationship with your partner. It's going to, there are going to be times when it's not good. And um, in those times of not being able to, not being good, there's always an opportunity, there's gonna be rupture and there's gonna be repair. So as with anything we do in parenting, whether we use, you know, I've seen parents oftentimes do timeouts, or they do one, two, threes, Mm -hmm. or they sleep train, or they, you know, at the end of the day, the majority of the time, what, what those types of approaches are doing is they're using separation. So they're going to use separation to get a desired behavior. You look at timeouts, you go to the corner, and then Mm -hmm. when you're, you know, when you're sorry, then you can come out. So they're looking at a child. They don't like the behavior. They use separation, separate the child, hope that the behavior changes, and then they come back. They usually do it over and over and over again, the child. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Same with sleep training. We want you to go to sleep. You're not going to sleep with us. So we're going to use separation. We're going to hope that you go to sleep. Same with one, two, three, I'm leaving the park. Like you want your child to leave a park. Okay, mommy's leaving. So we're using separation to get them to move. Mm-hmm. So, what I like to remind parents is it's just, it's not about one experience or one period of time. Again, this is about a lifetime relationship. Right. So, we can't say that any one experience harms or damages, but we also can't say, we can't say 100% that it does and we can't say 100% that it doesn't because what we don't okay, know yeah. is the experience of the child like i look at children who have come into the world and ended up in the nicu who have been born premature and the separation that they may have faced at the beginning of their life or you look at um you know the loss of a parent or um you know early return to work like all of these things culminate you're facing more and more and more and more separation so, it's not necessarily one thing in particular. And again, we're we don't get stuck in an attachment. So sometimes I think we're like, look for there's all these books where you fit like you get, oh, I'm a avoidant attachment or I'm yeah, a, I'm a this, and I'm a that. ok. Well, like these, if you look back to where these came from, these were Mary Ainsworth. But she was observing a certain situation and making notes basically on a napkin to describe, um the reaction of the baby when the parents had returned after a period of separation and then she gave it like a label it was never meant to be used as a diagnostic tool so we get caught up in this whole like we get the label and then you're stuck with the label so like if i do right. this with my baby they're going to get this is their attach then this is their attachment and then they're going to carry it through in life that's not how oh. it works either again it's about a relationship it's a lifetime i think because the idea <laughs> I'm just speaking personally here, but like the idea of it would just be much easier if I had a checklist of things to do. And then I knew that I would be a good parent. Yes.
0: Yes.
1: The thought of being okay, I can, I can do the things on the checklist for a year, but the thought of doing it for 45 years uh is really overwhelming right because again that is what a relationship is it's like kind of like the relationship with your partner like
0: it evolves can,
1: it evolves it evolves it changes and we go through things and so you're going to go through a period of time with your partner where things are not great because you've got other stuff going on and you're really stressed and it's going to impact your relationship it's going to cause rupture mm-hmm. and then repair that doesn't mean that because you had this rough period with your partner that all of a sudden your marriage gets classified as like I don't know whether they have labels for marriages too, but like as yeah you know horrendous or horrible or bad or like unhealthy when you go through one period of time. So right it's the same with our children and when it's the same with attachment and it was interesting too because um I, I was I was in a um one of the webinars for my sleep certification and one of the experts was talking about attachment and she was saying like is there really such a thing as a secure attachment? because at the end of the day, any relationship you're entering into with another person.
0: I get asked a lot about my morning routine, and to be honest, in this season of motherhood, a lot of it looks different every day besides what's in my morning cup of coffee. Harmony by Organifi is an adaptogenic mocha blend that I crave daily. It used to be a habit stack that's turned into something that I go to bed dreaming about. I've noticed such a difference since adding it into my morning routine. Harmony has a rich mocha flavor from a rare cacao packed with polyphenols and the bliss molecule to support the feeling of balance. As well as maca to support energy levels and alertness, this antioxidant has been known to balance hormone levels and improve reproductive health. tree berry and shatavari to promote vitality, hormone balance, and has even known to improve libido and decrease PMS symptoms. Personally, I have been pregnant or breastfeeding for the last five plus years and after three and a half years of not having a period after my second, I was shocked when my cycle returned because I had literally zero PMS symptoms like cramps and I owe that to Harmony. I was somebody that you could have caught on the ground right before my period was coming because I was having cramps that were taking me down there. This drink has helped me feel more like me again. In being in the women's health field, it feels very light to share my favorite adaptogenic blend made for women by women. Use my code TRUELOVE to snag a bag of harmony at 20% off so that you can start feeling more like you again. Hey sister, I want to take a minute to talk about the skincare line that I have been using since 2021 that I am totally in love with. I literally never had a skincare routine or regimen at all. I mean, not even a moisturizer until this brand. I'm talking about Dime Beauty. These products are made from clean ingredients. They're vegan, cruelty-free, contain no harsh chemicals. Dime products are also ranked between a one and a three on the EWG toxicity scale, super important. As I'm sure you're already aware of or have heard, fragrances can be harmful to the skin, clog your pores, as well as mess with your hormones, which I'm really passionate about talking about. So of course, Dime Beauty products are fragrance-free. My favorites are the mascara, Hyperglow Vitamin C Serum, and the TBT Serum. It's honestly the best clean mascara I have ever used. Dime Beauty is a budget-friendly, vegan, and cruelty-free option for fantastic skincare. Their packaging is glass, making them eco-friendly, and they offer returns up to 60 days, as well as free shipping on US orders over $49. You can use my code TrueLove at checkout to save 20% off of everything, even bundles. That's code TrueLove at checkout. Now, let's get back to the show has the ability anytime
1: you enter into any relationship there is always the potential of losing that person of like the relationship being ruptured beyond repair like
0: it, yes is it is it really it's, it's so much more fragile like if you, yeah yes because ugh, I feel like every relationship has this like one thread that's yeah. like and if like we got all these other threads, yeah, break those, cut those, we can tie them back, but there's like the one thread like if you break this one, yeah. none of the other ones matter. So like how but secure is that? We all know that. We know that going in and I can Yeah. Speak, and I can speak to
1: now that I'm separated and like about to be divorced, like did I did I did I have a, I had a secure attachment. I, But like now when I go into another relationship, knowing that mine fell apart so fast, that it was so like relationships, anytime I'm going to tell people, anytime you enter into a relationship, there is always the possibility that someone passes, that the relationship, something changes, that something Mm -hmm. happens beyond repair. Like, I don't know that any... (laughs) I don't that's a good point beyond faith for people who have faith like that is your one secure attachment if you have a faith or 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 something but beyond that I just don't know that I I don't know like I, I don't know that any attachment is secure but what we want to be is a safe home base for our children so we want them we want to be the place that they come to when they're you know happy and and angry and sad and they and we need to be able to show them that we love them the same through you know all of that right so uh but i don't think there's like one episode that we will do that causes irreparable damage now the other thing too about sleep training that people say well can it harm or could it harm and we also don't know again we don't know what the child is coming in with how much separation they've faced already, and and what their their the first couple months of their life have been like. Um, we don't know their temperament really. Like some children are kind of fine with it, but we we don't know what the sleep training experience was. And so I've had I've worked with families who have sleep trained for six months, and I mean like full cried out for six months Mm -hmm. and I've worked with families who three nights and that was what they did so there's not one kind of standard sleep training situation either so yeah yeah that's where I just you never you don't know we can't say 100% that it harms but we can't say 100% that it doesn't
0: Mm -hmm. yeah like anything in parenting probably I mean besides like 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 true like verbal physical harm like that it's we all have to make choices based on what works for the family and I feel like we all are gonna fuck up our kids a little bit you know
1: I mean I've already kind of counted on them going to therapy I mean it's <laughs> <start thinking
0: now. laughs> like uh but, I'm you know I feel like there's just no perfect parent you know and if there is one that they, they aren't parents yet like I was a perfect mom before i had kids I was um so perfect, right? and uh, yeah it, so many things are different i i i'm different than how i expected to be i don't know i don't really know what i expected but i'm so different than yeah. kind of what i saw for myself um i don't know and i think with each baby you change too like you just continue to evolve as a mom and your skills uh, evolve and your tools and your resources and your sources of information. I feel like so many people just do what, how they were raised because it, it comes up, um, yeah. instinctually, yeah. I think uh, the things, that, how we were raised, like you think that's how it, how it's supposed to go. And then maybe you get a gut feeling like, Whoa, this doesn't feel so good. You know, um, that's happened for me multiple times, you know, and then I have to just, I have to just correct, you know, and just like, that doesn't, that doesn't really work for me. And you just kind of figure out what does. And um, yeah, I think I want to kind of go into, I see it a ton about um, sleep regressions. What is actually happening? Is it, I feel like there's so much fear mongering, like the four month sleep regression, like we're in it, you know, and it's like, it's like, but it's actually maybe a good thing, you know? Or like, what is happening? I don't know.
1: Yeah, so I like to call them progressions instead of regressions. Yeah.
0: The
1: baby's not regressing. In fact, they're progressing, which is usually should be. So funny, because we're so excited when like, you go to like a mom's group, I remember, and everybody was like competing about when their baby, whose baby crawled first, like, oh, my baby crawled last night. And everyone's like, oh, my baby hasn't done that yet. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Baby's
1: so advanced. Well, by the same token, you should be then bragging about your sleep progressions, because it's like a good milestone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, usually, it's a sign that they're working on something new. So The four month progression is different and we can talk about that specifically because that's one where I think gets, I have, I have like, uh, there's usually something else going on there and so we'll talk about that. But otherwise, it's usually developmental. So they're learning something new. So we think because we put them to bed at, you know, seven o'clock at night, that their brain shuts off. And that's yeah.
0: the end of it until they wake up. But no, it's like a 24-hour situation. That does not work for me either. I oh, go to bed at yeah. nine and my brain does not shut off. No,
1: no. But like, we think because we could sort of sleep through the night. We're not waking up in the middle. But like, the minute, we, the minute they're experiencing, new, they're learning or they're growing, they're going to practice at night and they just want to let you know, they want to share. You can yeah. see them, that's kind of cute. Uh, but their whole world is changing every day. Right. Even like how far they can see what they can understand. Um, imagine waking up daily yeah. to a new reality. Like it's pretty crazy. Oh, I could never see that over there. Oh, I didn't understand that when you leave and you, then you come back. Well, now I get that that's, you know, this person is in my world, all of these things. So, um, I guess parents, I guess, get afraid that because sleep was going like, you know, they were sleeping five hours. Now they're only sleeping three. They've gone backwards. This is going to be my new reality. They're going to be waking every three hours. And so we start catastrophizing everything, right? Yes. Yes. It's a temporary situation and the more support we can offer, the better. So, um, you know, continuing to respond to your baby, giving them lots of daytime practice so they can be practicing some of those things during the day. Um, if your kid is in a bucket all day and they're locked into like a car seat or a stroller Mm -hmm. and they're not giving up being given opportunities to move that's not good if you have a little one who's pulling up on all fours you know being able to practice during the day in the crib while you're there and make it fun so that it's not just exciting at night or wherever they're sleeping is a great idea um if you do bed share and you know then they're learning how to stand and they're pulling up on top of you and you know all those things (laughs) <laughs> it's great. Yeah, <laughs> be patient with that. Again, everything will pass. It's all everything season. Will everything will pass. The exception to this one is four months. And the reason why I say this is because there's actually a lot going on from a feeding perspective that sometimes gets missed. hmm so one of the things is that if you are a breastfeeding parent um, in the first few weeks, it's uh, your su- supply is hormonally driven. so it doesn't matter how many times your baby empties the breast, your body's going to produce a certain amount of milk. And then uh, around six to eight weeks it, it shifts to more of like a supply and demand. So if your baby, if there's something going on and your baby is not able to properly drain the breast, uh, usually that's going to show up somewhere between three to four months. Your supply will dip and so what we think is the four-month progression actually might be feeding related and so that is oftentimes where i say if you hit the four-month progression and you're noticing things like or you have noticed things like a clicking noise while feeding mm-hmm. milk spilling out the sides of their mouth while you're feeding um uh snoring or mouth breathing or any of these things that should be assessed you know, so mm-hmm. really if you've hit the four month sleep progression and it's lasted longer than two weeks and you are a breastfeeding parent, go see an IBCLC.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause it could be tongue tie. Well, it, function. it
1: could be tightness. It could be a lot of things. So, you know, it's really, really important to be then trying to figure out what it is. Cause that one kind of starts around that period of time mm-hmm. and then sticks. And then parents are like, I've been in the four month progression for two months and my baby, yeah. you know, 14 times in 24 hours.
0: Uh-huh. Okay.
1: Well, maybe that's not the four month progression.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I feel like I, my kids didn't like go through a four month progression. Like I feel like, but I breastfed with them and they, it's like, I didn't really notice. I feel like they just do what they do, you know? And I just like, I just feed on demand, which feels like 24 seven. It probably feels like 14 times in 24 hours, but my kids are like snackers. I feel like they go in for a minute and they're like, okay, you're still there. I'm just going to go do something else now. It's not like a full sit down and like feed, you know? (laughs) And again, yeah, every, no. every baby is different. And this is the thing. If you,
1: like my biggest piece of advice to parents, and again, this is life learning now that I've been through one of the most challenging times in my life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, the fast, the easiest way to kind of navigate this first year is to accept it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: have a big cry about it, and then yeah. move forward. Uh, honestly. Yeah. Like you are not going to sleep. Your baby is going to wake up a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, your baby might be sleeping five hours in two weeks. They might be sleeping two hour stretches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like y- y- all the things, I, just make a list of all the things and then read it over 16 times, have a big cry about it and move forward. Because the sooner you can kind of, if you're trying to obsess over controlling their sleep and keeping it progressing in a certain direction. is just not how it works. Yeah. And instead of accepting it, you're, you're not, you're not living it. You're, you're trying to control it. You're trying to change it. You can't change it. Yes. Yeah. You can change it by sleep training. Your baby's still going to wake up the same amount of times as if you didn't sleep train, mm-hmm. they're just not going to signal for you. So you yeah. will be, thinking, there is, there is that solution. It's not benefiting your baby, but it might be benefiting you because you're sleeping more. But I think like, if we can come to a place where people can just start being real and honest about the first year, like right. a lot of the, the interesting thing about a lot of what uh, you'll hear from pediatricians specifically um, or people in the sleep training space. So basically what happened is a lot of the information we have about what normal infant sleep looks like from a pediatrician or from a sleep training individual is we have some studies that were done in the 1970s on formula-fed solitary sleeping babies because that was the baby of the 70s so most of us were formula fed I don't know maybe I'm just speaking maybe I'm way out of date. <laughs> but most of us were formula fed. a lot of us were formula fed and moms and babies were separated uh, at birth so they they went off into a nursery and all the babies were there I think we still see like I see it on tv I don't know that I was but I definitely I think that's what happened so we took those babies that were formula-fed, solitary sleeping babies, and then we used them to study normal infant sleep. And then we watched that. We came back and we said, "Oh, this is the this is the typical this is how babies sleep." Well, that is not actually representative of a uh, a baby who is in contact with their parents, which now. We talk about babies are born, and we're looking at you know um, skin to skin and like keeping mom and baby together. Well, now all of a sudden you can't you can't even compare the baby of the 70s to right. the baby now. So you can scrap that one. Yeah. And then if they're breastfed uh, and not formula fed, then you can scrap that one too. So they're taking these studies from the 70s and saying that that's what normal infant sleep looks like for babies. And now why is your six month old not sleeping eight hour stretches? Mm-hmm. Because that's not what they do. Right.
0: So all my kids did. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And it just feels like um, it takes so long for like the research to catch up with like. Oh, I heard it takes, I, I, someone said to me, it takes about 25 years for it, for a piece
1: of research to actually get into the hands of. Right. Like, in their doctor's
0: office. That's, it's so wild. Like, and I think that's why it's so confusing because if you go, like, let's say you're trying to find information on a cer- certain topic, like the studies that you're going to find, first of all, you can find studies to confirm literally anything you're looking for. Yeah. Um, In most cases, unless there's literally, it, unless there's no money in the thing. um, But it's like so old. And then you have, so many experts on social media sharing whatever their thing is about and it's like how do I how do I navigate this as a new mom you know and it's like if you want to do something different than how you were raised or or just what feels like aligns with your parenting style more or your situation as a family um it can be so hard you know in like all of All of the facets of parenting, like to find research that kind of like backs that, um, it's hard.
1: It is hard. And I think, you know, it's interesting because the way that things were set up in the past is that we had a village and a community. So things were passed down from generation Mm -hmm. to generation within a community because parents were there to help. So grandparents stepped in, aunts and uncles stepped in you had this incredible community of people who are passing down this information. That's why there's so many cultures that wouldn't dare look up a parenting expert. Right, you know, and it's, yeah, it's so crazy. passed from, from generation to generation. But also I think then, so we had that, we had that, like the complete destruction of the home and the, fam- mm-hmm. the, the extended family and everybody, the village and the community that was coming together to support the new parent. But Then on top of that, we made this idea that like, Babies are less than because they're smaller than, and yes. like, we can't possibly understand them. So right. we need to look in a book to know that when they're making that noise, that's what it means. Yeah. Yeah. The reality is, is if we sit and look at our child as our, at our baby, like, oh, wow, they might be overstimulated today because if you can sit back and think, well, they don't really have a good understanding of the world. And every day they're waking up and they're learning something new and they can, you know, see further and they can, they hear things and, you know, whatever it might be. And I just took them to like a Gymboree class. And... (laughs) It's no, yeah. no, it's so <laughs> no. It's so true. <laughs> noisy and there's plastic and it smells and there's like you know they're way overstimulated, and then they're fussy the rest of the day and I can't figure out what it is. Well, maybe that just was too much for them, right? Or you know when we put them down in the crib and we lay them down and then we're like, why won't you sleep in the crib? And they're upset and then we're like looking on the book. Why will my baby not sleep in the crib? I don't understand. Well, because they want to be with you,
0: right? it's just constant of like, not listening to your instinct that we have innately as women, as mothers, it's like, we have that in us. If we just are quiet enough to hear it, you know, instead of finding an expert for every single thing or reading every single book or doing the Dr. Google and all of that. It's so interesting because yeah, my parents never read a parenting book literally ever. Um, and my mom, you know, breastfed and bed shared and all that. And it and it would be interesting to ask, like, what did you do when we didn't sleep? You know, or what did you do when we were yeah. off the sleep schedule and you had to go somewhere? And it's like, just put you in the car and go. What do you mean? Like there's it's yeah. like and people are so hyper focused on their sleep schedule. And it like, oh, I can't leave the house or I feel so locked down. I'm like, just put the baby in the thing and go. Like, do what you have to do. It's like, it's so interesting. Like, and my husband always says to me, like, what would a mom ten thousand years ago do like in the cave like what would they be doing like if your baby's crying yeah. what do you, you pick them up like what like try to feed it like do whatever you you think is what's happening like it's not that deep like it's not this really it's just like look at your baby and yeah and try to d- feel what's coming up for you you know and like do feel the instincts come up for you and just do it um and I think it's getting harder and harder to do because there's I feel like we're also overstimulated with information, content, the news, like everything. And it's like, you're spiraling 24 seven. And so how could you possibly slow down to look at your baby and think, you know, what do you need? Yeah. But I also think like,
1: it's interesting because I think about the types of parenting experiences that we received. So I mean, a lot of us faced a lot of separation. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us were born in the time when some of these bigger parenting books came out where that cry it out situation. So like Ferber and Weissbluth all came out when our parents, and so these methods or these approaches, like we are the, the first generation to have really experienced them. And so I think a lot of us faced I mean, I, and I, I think about unconditional love. I've had this debate lately, actually, a lot about like, is there such a thing as unconditional love? Like, can we really give that? But so many of us faced kind of with our parents was this, that it, ve- it was very conditional based on what we did. So yes, like, sir. if you get a good mark at school, if you make it on the track team, if you behave in a certain way at the party, if you, you know, if you do the things, then you get your gold star. And so thrive on the gold star. Yeah. And now we have kids and parenting and being a mom has somehow gone into the gold star box and it's an impossible feat to get it right every day. So then every yeah. day it's like, I want my gold star, but I die and I'm gonna keep reading to try to do to be perfect so I can get my gold star in that aspect in that aspect of my life. And you just can't, it's a it's a relationship and it's a lifetime. And so it's going to be one of those things where you again it come you come to a place of acceptance. Like I'm learning every day, you know, I'm doing the best that I can. Um, I love my child. You know, at the end of the day, we need to be. You know, offering contact closest and proximity, a a, a safe place for our children to be able to rest. Um, we need to be in that leader role of leading them, of knowing what they need, um, and being able to support them with that. And we gotta
0: love them, yeah.
1: And we also gotta know we're gonna mess up 15 million times a day, we just are
0: right. I've gotten really good at saying I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 and that that repair thing because you're just you know, you you're constantly given the opportunity to say and be to be who you say you want to be and yeah, fall short all the time. And I think that um it'll it I'm hoping it allows my kids to know that they don't have to be perfect because mom's not perfect and um that you're allowed to like mess up as long as you just fix it you know and that that repair part is really important in my opinion um more on the on a sleep topic that i have not discussed before um and i don't know if this is like in your wheelhouse i don't know how old you support kids like support families but in the realm of toddler sleep this is something that we have kind of struggled with before is um nightmares or night terrors. I'm not really sure the difference. Um, I didn't, I've never worked with any experts in, um, in sleep situations, but we had kind of like a season of my oldest daughter waking up, screaming, crying. And like, like we can't, we couldn't really like wake her up out of it. And it almost like made it worse. Yeah, um, so and I'm, we don't know how to, we didn't important.
1: know how to, that's a night terror. So like if they're not aware of it and you can't Mm. wake them up out of it, you don't want to then try to wake them up out of it. So it's, it's scarier for you than it is for them. Yeah. In that, if, if it's a night terror, they usually don't remember it the next day.
0: Yeah. She wouldn't remember it.
1: No. So that would be more of a night terror, a nightmare. They're actually waking up and they can tell you what they were thinking about. And they oftentimes will remember it the next day. Both of them are, I guess, I would say nightmares are obviously more normal. We all have mm-hmm. them. Um, night terrors would be less common, I would say. Not to say they're not normal, but less common. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some of the things that, you know, for me, sometimes I find that they happen a little bit more when there's, the child's not getting is getting a little bit less sleep.
0: So, mm-hmm.
1: or if there's a big, huge transition or change in their life, that can happen as well. Um, but yeah, like I I if it's a night terror, you don't want to wake them up. So you want to be Yeah, we them. didn't know
0: what was happening. It just felt so intense and I think now that you mentioned like a big like change and not getting enough sleep or less sleep than normal, I think it was happening when I had my second daughter like a like months after that and we all sleep together, but it was like I had to go down with the baby first and then she would stay up with dad and then when she fell asleep he, everybody would come to bed. And so it was less sleep than she would be normally getting in her normal sleep space. um, So that makes sense. And so if it and it was like kind of long, like the night tear, like she would be screaming for a while and it was like, we're here with you. Like, it's OK. And it was like not yeah, helping. It was like, yeah, making they worse.
1: yeah, they don't hear. So you're really just you're not trying to wake them up from that, really.
0: And how, is there any way to stop it from happening? Is there any way to support, is it just like developmentally appropriate or no? So that's where I
1: would look to the change and the less sleep Mm -hmm. and then try to work through that piece of it. So accommodating, making sure that they're getting enough sleep and that they're not overtired and exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where I would be putting my focus. The other thing that I don't know whether to say, I don't want to say that it's common or normal I just don't like to get, give parents too many, like things to think about. Yeah. can happen as well is something that we've seen quite a bit now is the, is the relationship between uh, sleep challenges and low ferritin levels, which is your iron stores. Um, And it just seems to keep coming up over and over and over again. Um, So usually if the parent, the mom uh, was low in pregnancy or postpartum.
0: I was vegan for five years, and I was vegan through my pregnancies, and my kids were vegan. We just for the last year we started adding in animal products again, so that's interesting. I've read the same thing about cerebral seizures happening more commonly in like some sort of nutrient, uh, like a low nutrient or deficiency or something. Um, obviously, like nothing's like a hard answer, so I know that's. No, but the the iron and
1: sleep is well documented um and so one of the things that it can lead to too is restless legs so Mm -hmm. because kids are too young to kind of describe like they might describe that it's prickly or they might be able to draw a picture of it Mm -hmm. but that can wake them up in the middle of the night with like excruciating pain and that's when you might see a lot of screaming as well but it would be different because they would be awake
0: right yeah no she was definitely asleep like not responding to us um... it sounds like there was a
1: less she was getting less sleep and you guys were going to do some changes so
0: Gosh, that's weird. um, And also kind of makes me feel like, okay, it wasn't like, there wasn't like some big stressful like event in our family in a bad way, but definitely it was happening around the time when we had our, we had our second, we're all sleeping together. So it was a little bit different. And then like, maybe our nightmares, can you support nightmares? Is there something to do for that? Or is that also just like something we go through? Is that like a human experience? <laughs>
1: I think it's really like a human experience. I've seen people do all sorts of things like try to have talk about ice cream before bed so that that's kind of what they're thinking about. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that it necessarily I don't know that it necessarily works. I mean, one of the things too that parents deal with a lot in the to- in toddlerhood is like nighttime fears, legitimate nighttime fears, like I'm afraid. Yeah. Of them, right? So, um
0: and then <laughs> my daughter had that too it was very strange i'm laughing
1: because i feel like (sighs) i should make a movie on all the things that parents try to do to show them that that nighttime fear does not exist like oh my god yeah probably okay let's take a flashlight we're gonna walk around your room we're gonna look for the boogeyman like we're gonna do all those things so uh, what is happening in that moment for that child is not that they're afraid of the boogeyman they're afraid of the separation
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so it doesn't matter whether you look for the boogeyman with the flashlight, or you do all the things to get rid of the boogeyman or whatever it is, what they're saying to you is I can't handle the separation. And so yeah. nighttime for children represents up to 12 hours separation from the people that they love. Right. And so this is where, you know, when I work with families, what we're working on is trying to bridge that separation and reduce the separation as much as possible. So things like You know, I'm gonna tie an invisible string from my heart to your heart. I'm gonna meet you in your dreams, and then in the morning, be like, "I met you there. Do you remember?" Like, you know, trying to find ways for them to hold on so that it's not that 12 hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, Will you hold on to my shirt until the morning so that sleeping with something that smells like you, because that attachment through the senses is really strong. So if the sheets smell like you, if they can hold on to something that smells like you, they have a lovey. Um, I had, I actually had a family recently that did actually tie a string from their bed to the child's bed. And that was like, so comforting for the
0: child to know. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So to be able to do some of that stuff, like if you're starting to see a lot of those nighttime fears, it's not the boogeyman. You can spend 14 hours going to the library and getting all the books about the boogeyman and getting a flashlight and doing all the things. But what they're saying to you is, I know I'm headed into 12 hours of separation and I'm struggling.
0: Mm -hmm. And what about, um, this was something new for us too is like i'm scared of the dark and like nothing has ever happened to her in the dark but i did notice that it was like so my husband had to leave for like 3 weeks like on a job and all of a sudden my daughter is scared of the dark and i'm like so now when you're saying that i'm like okay th- there was a separation of my husband being gone and like for me as a mom i'm like you don't feel safe with me like you don't think i could take on whatever <laughs> it is you know and but but it makes more sense that it's like I'm extremely separated from dad, you know, right now, and he's usually here, and um, so I guess like, are there any tips for like if they sleep with you and now all of a sudden they're scared of the dark? It's not necessarily a separation, um, is it? I don't know. Is there anything else? Do we have nightlights? Is that like the only deal? You can use the nightlight for sure. I mean, the the
1: fear of the dark, yeah. I mean, that's a hard. I mean, so. Just to be a hundred percent transparent, I'm scared of the dark. Uh, I know. I know. Yeah,
0: I know as an saying. adult,
1: yeah, so I'm trying to think of like things that would help me, and yeah, like a nightlight. And sometimes kids hear things too.
0: Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Like, you know, or things happen in the dark that might scare them and they can't see. You know, it is, I'm sorry, the dark is scary. Yeah, the dark is
0: scary. Yeah. I mean, I do have those. It's so funny that she says that. And I'm always like, it's fine. I'm here with you. Meanwhile, I'm the one with all of those like sensor lights yeah. like that light up the entire house at night because i guess yeah like i want to see like i don't like to, like when they say like to completely black it out like if you can see your hand in front of your face like it's too light i'm like what who sleeps no. like that like that is no. so terrifying for me okay so i'm working this through my own head i'm like okay we're normal um <laughs> i don't know there's probably nothing else to add to that besides the night like um okay so i have three questions that i want to ask you that i ask almost every every guest that comes on the podcast okay. um what is a question that you wished more people would ask you as a sleep expert um
1: as a sleep expert i mean the question the thing is people ask me all sorts of kind all sorts of things so i know you probably want a quick answer here um I get a lot of, is it normal? And more often than not, the answer is if your baby is doing it, it is more than likely normal. Yeah. So any of those, is it normal questions? Um, and is it, is it okay that I just do what works best for me? I wish that parents would just say that. Yeah. Yeah. Just do what, do what works best for you.
0: They just want permission. Yeah. I feel like moms just need yeah. want permission and I like validation. Know
1: exactly I feel like it's kind of when I think back about the job or like the things that I share the things that I do it almost makes me sad that I that I have to do that mm-hmm. that people are looking for permission when it comes to parenting and there's something wrong with you if you are it's just like how
0: have we done so much
1: damage
0: yeah how did we get here
1: yeah we well, you, you separate you you destroy the the extended family in the community mm-hmm. destroy it then you you know you've got moms with no support no village no community nowhere to go and you know it just we're seeking just connection and isn't normal i mean isn't normal is an attachment question right we want we want to make sure that we are fitting within the the realm of normal but yeah if if your baby's doing something it's more than likely it's it's uh it's normal
0: <laughs> right yeah i heard something recently on in the i was doom scrolling on social media and it was about the village right and it's like uh it takes a village or whatever and it's like the modern day mom has really never been more alone and um it's like it it, we have to like stop letting it be a shock that there is no village there's no free village you have to pay for the village now. So you have yeah. to pay for an, somebody to help you breastfeed, pay for somebody to help you get back to movement, pay for somebody to help you uh, figure out what your sleeping arrangement's gonna look like safely because it's not that instinctual anymore because we have beds elevated off the floor. We have all these separate rooms. It's like all the cribs and the blankets and the pillows. It's like yeah. that stuff just doesn't exist in every place in the planet, you know? So it's like, you don't, I think that there, I think that there's going to be a big shift in our generation of less baby shower situations, less, um, the nursery looking and presenting a certain way and more of like, I need, I need funds, right. To support the village that I'm going to have to pay for, because none of my friends are going to be showing up at two in the morning. My mom, my mom's way of doing things maybe isn't relevant to the way that I want to do things because I'm a product of the way I was raised and maybe I don't want to do everything the same. And so it's finding, finding people that you do align with that you want in your village. And that costs money because those people also have to support their own families. And I think that's a big shift that needs to happen is that the village is, is there, we want to help moms. We're here, we're here for the moms, but it's not free anymore, you know, and that's because nothing is free for, for the people that are, are going out, getting certified, learn, getting all of the best information to be a resource for moms that is not free to do. So it has to come at a cost. And I think the crib is less important. The way your nursery looks is less important. Um, it's more important that you have people that you can lean on on your, in your village that are, Mm -hmm. um, you know, well-equipped to help you. And it's going to come at a cost. The village isn't free anymore. And I thought that was such an interesting way of phrasing it. Like the village is here. We want to, we want to help. Um, and there's, there's many different people that want to do it in different ways. There's somebody out there for you. It's just not free anymore. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, What is your number one piece of advice you'd give to yourself as a first time mom, knowing everything that you know now?
1: Just let it go. I mean, I think the acceptance piece actually, Mm -hmm. like accept it, have a big cry about it and move forward.
0: I just love that. Like have a big cry about it, like still valid, but you got to move forward. Yeah, This is the
1: reality for the next year. Mm-hmm. I think, again the more we try to like it was interesting um one of the uh courses that I was taking is just about the idea of like accepting the futilities in life that you can't change and how you know frustration comes into it's like a traffic circle frustration comes in um we either you know uh shift something or change something so we don't actually have to like address a a situation or we come to a place of like understanding and accepting it right and so when we get frustrated about something frustration acts on purpose to affect change like that's the purpose of frustrations to affect change when you can't change something you either it's got it's either going to come out because you cry and accept the fact that you can't change it or it stays in the circle and you keep getting frustrated and angry it's like remember before i i had a before i did my certification for the first time i um uh, my computer malfunctioned it was like okay. carrying sex in the city when the yeah. when yes the guy at the desk is like did you back it up i'm like back it up <laughs> <laughs> so but like the process of the computer crashing and the amount of people that i called to the point of accepting it and starting again like I was so angry and I trying to change, trying to affect change, trying to affect change. Nothing is going to change. Your computer is broken. Your work is done. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. The minute I had a huge cry about it, then I was like, okay, back on your computer and start typing it up. I just wish that I took that. It's like my divorce. Beg from back, beg from back, tried to make it work. Like, please come on. The minute I realized it was done, it was like massive cry. He's gone, he's not coming back. Move forward. Right. I really wish I would have done that in motherhood, but I think we're led to believe that we can change all these things if we just right. this product, if we just do this thing. It's yes. not possible.
0: Right. Let
1: it go. Accept it. Have a big cry about it, let it go and move on.
0: <laughs> uh currently this is uh this is fitting. Currently in your season of motherhood or life, what is your go-to mantra to get you through hard times? I feel like we could use your number one piece of advice for that too. A mantra is like a mantra, but mom style. It's just go the ahead.
1: institutional pass, is what I say all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has been a horrendous season and yeah. also an amazing season. So for someone who has an attachment background, understands the importance of, you know, having two parents who love each other, to model what relationships look like and knowing how much it takes to, you know, parent two children together, um, to have a broken home is something that really deeply affected me. I say broken. Yeah. I want to say that I've got to think about that more about like what I call it but um so not only did I carry the separation of the divorce but then I carried the understanding of attachment that came with that uh and that was a really huge heavy thing
0: heavy to came- heavy load yeah
1: um and sitting in that darkness for for a while and then and then coming out and seeing what came out on the other side so I mean for me it's yeah it's a this too shall pass and it will it will
0: a season season seasons will do what they've always done they will change good bad or indifferent they will change at some point yeah lauren thank you so much for making this happen after a year <laughs> i just knew that i had to have you on here and this conversation went everywhere and Every- what is any <laughs> as deep as i expected it uh because you are deep and that always comes through in um, in your content, while you deliver on into the internet. Um, and I've just enjoyed this conversation so much and thank you so much for being here. Where can everybody find you?
1: Yeah. So usually I'm most active on my Instagram, which is Isla Grace sleep, I S L A G R A C E sleep. Um, so you can mostly find me there, um, until I get right back into work mode. That's probably where you'll find me the most, I would say. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the daily mom trip podcast. If you did be sure to subscribe also before you go, I would love you forever. If you could rate and review this podcast, share with a mom friend or on social media and be sure to tag me at move with true love and at daily Momtrapod pod on Instagram. Again, thank you so much for listening and I will see you soon.